0: Just recognize your presence here with us tonight, Lord. We don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing revelation of what we already have in Christ Jesus. And we pray that you would do that more and more. Would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things you have for us together, Lord, Make us a people of your presence, God. And I pray even now, Father, that we could just enjoy your presence together. Would you just pray with me, just eyes closed if you would, just for a moment. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Let me see you high and lifted up. Would you enlighten our eyes, God? I pray that you would give us revelation beyond what we've had before. I pray for hope. To continue running. and we, we were worshiping earlier, Luke and team, just such a great job leading us through worship. And I saw multiple of you running in foothills. And I saw that the foothills had light behind them, but there was dark in the foothills. But you could see it was almost like a city was glowing brightly beyond the foothills, but you had to keep pressing on to go up that hill. It wasn't like a mountain, like a steep climb. It was a foothill. You had to keep pressing on. And it was almost like when you got to the top of the hill, you You saw it, the hope of what you've been pressing on for this city of gold, you know, like it was was in your sight and you had fresh hope, but you just had to press on. And so I pray for endurance for those who need to do that tonight, that they can see the glow over the back of the hill, but their eyes have yet to see what they're hoping for. And I pray for an endurance and encouragement to press on, Lord. I pray for anyone in here tempted to give up tonight, Lord. I pray they'd set their heart on a pilgrimage and go forward, taking another step, Lord, tonight. Lord, we want to know you. So I pray that tonight you'd help us, even in these next few minutes we have together, help us to know you more, Lord. You know, I probably sat through... Let's see, 52 a year times 10 years is 520 times 20 years is 1,040 sermons. That's a ballpark in 20 years plus nine months in my mama's womb. And I pretty much didn't know anything of the power of the Holy Spirit until my early 20s. But I had tons of good information, tons of good sermons, I knew very little of the real, living, active presence of the Lord in my life. To defeat sin, to be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, it was a foreign thing to me. And then I found out, and that changed everything for me. That changed how I read the Bible and how I interact with people. It certainly didn't make me perfect overnight, but it changed me forever. And that's the only way to do Christianity, You know, bread is best eaten fresh out of the oven, nice and warm, fresh, great with honey and butter on it. There's nothing quite as good as homemade bread. Thank you, Lizzie. There's nothing quite as bad as old and stale and moldy bread, but bread is bread, right? No, it is not. No, it is not. We can go and preach churches, right, Chris McGathy, where they say, we don't want any of the Holy Spirit. Just give us the word and we'll go home. Bread is not bread. Fresh bread is what we need from the oven. We need the word of the Lord, living and active. It's not moldy. It's not crusty. Nothing wrong with the word of God. How we handle it sometimes is though and how we interact with it. I'm telling you, the Lord is looking for a presence-based people who know his heart and are moved when he moves, and speak when he speaks, and they stay in step with the Spirit of God. Those who do that are called what? Sons of God. Daughters of God. He's looking for sons on the earth. He's not looking for robots. For people who know what he's doing, and are aware of his whispers, his gentle whispers that move them to and fro. That's what he's looking for. He does not need people who are really good at going through the motions. He never asked for that. He never asked for that. Like Mary knew all the right information. Martha knew all the right information. Mary knew his heart. He's looking for people that know and love his heart, even the weak ones like us. The number one thing, go to Exodus 33 if you would with me. We were just close to there. Just piggyback off of what Doc just said. The number one thing, Moses says, that distinguishes the people of God from all other people is found here in Exodus 33. Moses says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Who's God's people today, church? We are. Israel? Yes, of course they're God's people. Us? Yes, of course we are. We've been grafted in. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's what happens in the presence of the Lord. Anybody ever been in it lately? Rest peace, healing in the presence of the Lord. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here today. Lord, don't send me out my front door. Don't send me into this next dinner. Don't send me into this next family gathering. Don't send me into Dylan's if your presence does go before me. Because why? How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go With us, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And I want to ask you the same question What is it that differentiates and distinguishes you and me from everyone else? His presence to be a people of his presence. There's nothing quite as painful as a dry and crusty church service. Can I get an amen? There's nothing quite as boring. I hate them. I would rather do anything than that. I, I, I And I'm a church service guy. I help lead them, and I hate them. When, there, when there's no oil there, when we talk about God like he's not in the room, when wisdom of man gets in the way of the word of the Lord, and when we don't give him room to act, I hate that. And, and you too. The, Moses is like, I don't want to be a part of that. Your presence, let it, what else is going to separate me from all the other people? And God says, this is my distinguishing mark on you, church. Can I ask you, what's living life in the presence of the Lord been like for you in the last week or two? How do you think about your upcoming week in terms of being transformed and redirected and halted and moved forward and prompted by the presence of the Lord? if it doesn't have any bearing on anything in your life or mind, then I think it's worth stopping, taking stock and saying, Lord Jesus, what are you doing today? In this moment, what are you doing Monday morning at work? Right now, Holy Spirit, what are you doing even in the room? Because see, if we don't abide in him, we accomplish just, just might as well stay home and eat Fruit Loops. There's nothing good that happens apart from abiding in him. And the Lord says, if you'll be a people of my presence, Christianity, it changes everything. So we talk a lot about oil here. It's an oil city. El Dorado Equip got the little logo thing going on with the oil. Oil, oil, oil. What are we talking about when we say we want the oil of the Holy Spirit? I felt like it would be good to go back and kind of revisit this a little bit because I think it's a helpful focus for us in this season and for even what we're assigned to. The, The Lord called me here to have this microphone and and be who I'm gonna be here. And I think he put an assignment on my life and I'm sorry, but as Sam says, I'm gonna inflict you with what I think the Lord put on me because I think it's for us as a body. What is he calling us to do. I think he's called us to be a people of his presence that bear the oil. El Dorado has a small sliver in the grand scale of what the Lord is doing in the earth. We're part of the church in the body of Christ. Yes, the church in the world. But we've got a little assignment in El Dorado. This is what I believe. Our assignment in El Dorado is to be an oil town, to help Supply the end time oil for his people. Think with me for a moment. Remember in in Luke chapter 12? I think we've got this up there. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your God, keep my lamp burning. He's like, No, you keep your lamp burning. God, keep me burning, burning, burning until the break of day. Come on, here we go, yeah? No, he says, no, you do it. Be dressed, ready for service. You keep your lamps burning. What does that mean even? And the Bible answers it with the Bible. Matthew 25, 8, the foolish virgin said to the wise, give us some of your oil because why do we need oil? Because our lamps are going out yes, Lord, keep me burning with your oil, but I got to go buy the oil. What did the wise virgins tell the foolish ones to do? Go to those who sell it and buy it. What does that mean? It's cost. It takes time. It takes effort and energy. What energy? The energy Christ is so powerfully working in me. I got nothing of me left. Anything's the grace of God, but I got to go seek him out. I got to go dig for the oil. It's not found in pools on the top of the landscape, is it? Oil's down underground. It takes effort, it takes work. And the Lord's like, will you go trade in your time, effort, energy resources for oil? And I believe we are to be a help in that in El Dorado. As El Dorado goes, so Wichita goes, Dick Coons has said for years. What does that mean? El Dorado in the natural supplied Wichita with oil money. And there is a pipeline in the prophetic, I believe, from El Dorado to Wichita. We got to keep that pipeline flowing. Why? Because the aircraft industry was birthed with oil money in the city of Wichita. Come on. It's not too, we're talking about the air. We're talking about prayers. We're talking about warfare. World War II was won because of air power. We win the war against the kingdom of darkness through prayer, prevailing prayer. What keeps our lamps burning? Oil, oil, oil. We got to have that, church. So I'm asking you, would you consider with me, what is our assignment as soldiers? Paul says that's who we all are. No good soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He doesn't get sidetracked. If we're soldiers together, the family of God, if he's called you to be here, then will you walk in this assignment with me? What does it look like? I don't know. The Spirit's gonna let us know. As far as I know, we're doing what we're supposed to do and there's more of it coming. There's more prayer. There's more drilling meetings. I think there's a lot of joy coming for us. Why? Because there's joy in his house of prayer. The whole church is called to be the house of prayer and we're called to be the house of prayer. God is really among us, yes? God literally, physically, actively is really among us, yes? Yes. So we gotta believe that. I just said this to a brother the other day, he came into my office. Where we go, the spirit of God goes. The spirit of God is in us, yes? That does not mean we have to access that and manifest that everywhere we go. We can be shut up wells. We'd have all the oil and all the reservoirs inside and none of it flowing out, And I think the Lord wants to unclog some of those. He wants to release some of that. What does that mean, that prophetic metaphor of oil describing being led by, inspired by, and filled with the Holy Spirit of God? I think it can look like this. 1 Corinthians 14, you, you, can, you don't need to flip there. You remember this. When we prophesy in, each, in, in, in these meetings, and unbelievers enter, the secrets of their heart are revealed. They fall to their knees and confess what? God is really among you. It's true. He's invisible, but I know it palpably. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. How do we know that God? he's a very active, living, real God and he really affects us? He really changes us. What this looks like, I believe, I was studying this today. I think we've got this up there. In Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17, the Lord your God Is in your midst, or the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is living among you, Zephaniah says. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, or he will calm all of your fears, or he will quiet you with his love, one translation says but he will rejoice over you with singing. You know what it looks like for us when we pause, like we did just a minute ago and said, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. When we pause in the morning with our coffee before the day gets going, when we pause in our truck or our car, before we get out and walk into the office, when we just wait and pray, There's four things that happen. And I love this passage. It just unpacks it for me so well. The Lord your God is with you, He's living among you. He lives. When we press in or lean back or just listen and quiet ourselves, this is the benefits of that. Number one, He saves you, He gives you the victory. Meaning, whatever's coming against you in that moment, the stress, the strain, the anxiety, the condemnation, salvation. Did God save me once? Yes, absolutely. Is God saving me now? Yes, absolutely. Will he save me? Yes, he will. God saves in that moment when we recognize his real living, active presence in us. Number two, we sense, we feel, I've got this overwhelming awareness of his delight in me it says he takes great delight in you and he rejoices over you with gladness that's worth a pause right just to just to sit back and just feel his favor and his delight over you as a son or a daughter that's a really good reason to pause And just abide in him in that moment. God's living. And so when I pause and I wait, I'm saved because I offload my troubles off my shoulders onto his and I get that easy burden and that light yoke. And then I feel his delight for me as a son. But it doesn't stop there. Thirdly, he quiets me with his love or he no longer rebukes you. He makes no mention of your past sins, one translation says. He calms all of your fears, or you will rest in his love. I'm quoting from NIVESV, Amplified, Expanded, the Living Bible. Multiple translations give us different pictures of this. But in the moment when we rest in him, when we abide in his presence, we become a people of his presence, the oily people, Not only does he save us and give us a victory, not only do we feel his delight, but he quiets us and he reminds us there's no longer any condemnation for you. Like the woman caught in adultery, where are your accusers? You'll rest in his love. And then lastly, number four, he rejoices over you with not just singing, but loud singing. He rejoices over you with shouts of joy. That actually, the, the phrase is like he's dancing over us wildly. He's wild about us, his heart. So yes, we get his delight in us, but then we get like the overflow of his heart for us and that stirs us up. There's something really that transforms me when I go from a bad attitude day, and no oil, and it's just grinding through the gears, to then I pause, and I have that person pray for me, or I get that revelation, and I'm just in his presence. It invigorates me, it in- and it changes me, and you don't have to be like me. You do you, but I'm asking you, what does it look like for you to live in his presence? You're made to be an oily person. The Christian life is real hard without that. This is how the nations know, is, is what it says in, in, in Ezekiel 37, Leviticus 26. The nations know that God is among us. And they say, your God is the real God. That's the one I want. I don't want the God that we all talk about that's up in the sky a long way. I want the God that's really among us, Emmanuel, which means God with us. How do we know that he lives in us? How do you know that God lives among you, inside you? You know because of his presence. Sometimes we're not so sure. I don't know if God even likes me or lives. I don't know because I'm not even sure if I'm on his good side right now. Why? Because we don't know his presence and the Lord wants to change that.